welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Nana, I want to welcome each and every one of you here. There are some familiar faces and some faces I've never seen before, so we welcome you. First, I'd like to go ahead and start with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. How many of you are here for your very, 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 very first ethnon experience? Well, good. Please feel free to ask anyone you see if you have any questions about our program or any questions at all. But we welcome you and hope that today will be a very exciting experience for you. And I know it's going to be really nerve-wracking. That's for sure. What Wilson did earlier, for those of you who heard his openings about the film, it was wonderful. And I remember when we in Essanon never thought anything was funny. There was never anything funny. We got recovery like this. But now we're able to laugh at ourselves and able to laugh at our experiences. And I went to a meeting once and they said that laughter was the sound effect of recovery. And I thought that was really, really so good because in my history I had lost any sense of my sense of humor. So right now I'd like to introduce you to a, a good friend of mine. His name is Gene from Oklahoma City. Gene and I go back about 20 years. And so the... um one of the things I'd like to tell you about Gene is he drank my coffee today and he's still kicking. So that's good. Um, he's a man that, that taught me something, how to get to be an old timer. You keep going to meetings and don't die. That's how you get to be an old timer. So I want to introduce you to an old timer, not in years, of course, but in S9 years. Thank you. I get to hug him. Yeah, every time I see Nancy behind the podium, I'm going to tell her to stand up. Yeah, uh, what a, a great uh, place uh, to uh, to get together and uh, uh, to have a meeting. <clears throat> I saw, what, about three or four hands that uh, went up that said that this was their uh, first experience. Um, how many of you uh, have been around a year or more? Okay, not that means anything. I just want to know how many they were. You know, uh, it's uh, it's good and it's bad to uh, to be in a room and, and to share experience, strength, and hope. Except when there are people like Nancy around, who we've been around and been together for a uh, goodly number of years, and uh, you know, uh, she uh, she's kind of a one of those people that that help keep you straight. 
She's also, for those of you that uh, haven't met her, she's also one of those people that kind of tell it like it is, you know, and uh, I wasn't a very truthful person uh, when I got here. I had several identities, and, uh, you know, the... uh, uh, We'll be, we'll be talking, Sylvia and I'll have an opportunity to, to share a couple of times today. And, uh, the, um, uh, what I'm going to talk about, uh, this morning is going to, uh, uh, be basically, uh, my experience, strength and hope. And we'll, we'll be talking later on about our coupleship. Uh, um, Sylvia and I, uh, have been married for a long, long time. Uh, the first 26 or 27 years wasn't too pleasant, but, you know, uh, fr- from that time on, it, it, it's been kind of a different deal. I'm the uh, eldest of uh, four boys, and uh, I, uh, I came, uh, you know, along with my controlling nature, uh, it was a uh, very natural thing to do. Uh, I, I was, uh, the four boys that were in my family, each about three years younger than my, myself and, uh, uh, my parents, uh, we didn't, we didn't have a lot. We didn't come from, uh, the right side of the tracks. And, uh, my father and probably as far back as, uh, we can trace on my father's side, um, were alcoholics and, um, you know, but my parents were, uh, people, um, as, as I know them today, and I really didn't know this until I got into program and been around a while, were, were people who did absolutely the very best they could do at, at the time and what they had to do with. They come up in that, uh, depression era where uh, the dollar was short and, and, and those kinds of things. And, uh, we, uh, I was born in a little town in Oklahoma, um, about halfway between our capital and the town of Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1940, and I'm not going to, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, in 1940, I was five years old, so you can do the math and then get that over with and figure out about how, how old I am. Uh, the only problem is I've never figured out how you're supposed to act at age 68. That's That's been the only problem I've had in terms of uh, you know, uh, what, what I'm supposed to do and, and how I'm supposed to act and how I'm supposed to treat life. But, uh, uh, in, uh, in coming through that experience and moving to a large town in, uh, uh the largest town in Oklahoma at, at age five and going to grade school and, and never really kind of feeling like I fit in and kind of always running with a little bit of an older crowd. And, uh, those, uh, types of things and uh, the embarrassment of, uh, mother, uh, making us sit on a, stand on a step stool and wash dishes because there wasn't any girls around. We had to do all of those kind of chores around the house. And my wife says today that she's very grateful for that, uh, my mom taught, taught us those skills, you know. But, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was one of those things, uh, uh, growing up, trying to, uh, uh control, um, uh, each and every situation that was just, it seemed like, a, I don't know that anybody ever taught me that, but that's just kind of, kind of what I did. Uh, I went to, uh, you know, uh, through, uh, school. I pretty darn good student. Uh, you know, came out with, with good grades and, uh, ended up, uh, being president of my senior class. And, uh, 
I, I figured out later on, and some of my contemporaries told me the uh, the only reason uh, that they voted me in as president because I could plan the best parties, <laughs> and uh, we did that. And uh, uh, again, running with the older uh, kids, I uh, partied uh, through high school whenever the uh, the funds and the time were available and, and so forth, and. Um, I got out of high school, tried two or three stabs at going to college, and uh, went to work at uh, my profession uh, uh, about six months after I got out of high school and stayed with that profession for 33 years. But uh, the the time period of uh, having uh, time uh, to myself and, and running around was pretty short because I ended up getting married at age 21, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later this afternoon, but I had only uh, uh, one role model in, in terms of getting married, and that was that the male of the household uh, went out and made the money, uh, uh, paid the bills, the wife stayed at home, raised the kids, done what she was supposed to do, and then the husband could do anything else he wanted to do, you know, anytime he wanted to do it. And that's the way that uh, that I lived my life, and that's the way uh, uh, we lived our marriage life for the for the first uh, uh, twenty seven years of marriage. And uh, I, I, I used to make jokes out when I was out with the guys and say, uh, you know, I have the best of both worlds. I can be out here and I can be with the guys. We'd be partying, we'd be having fun, do whatever we want to do. And, and my wife is at home raising the children and all that kind of. Thing thing and uh, you know I, I don't have to worry about that well you, you'll hear some Sylvia story you'll hear that that was not exactly the case of what was going on that was my perception of what was going on uh, in our in our household and um, as uh, uh, we continued uh, uh, to grow we had two children and uh, uh, both turned out to be pretty darn good kids in spite of uh, the environment that uh, they were raised in. And, uh, you know, things continued to be more dysfunctional, more dysfunctional. Uh, I don't even like that word, but I don't know how, how better to describe the, the things that, that went on in our uh, household. Uh, the things that didn't seem uh, right or whatever, uh, we tend to ignore, you know. And uh, the Essanon problem exactly fits me. It, it describes me as well as anything that I know. And, and particularly the uh, sentence in there where some of us use drugs and alcohol to uh, to cover up our feelings and, and to escape. And, and that was my escape when things got too tough, when I didn't want to deal with the, with the issues. That's what I did. I uh, I used alcohol to cover up and, and numb those feelings, and uh, you know then I, even though it said that basically that alcohol is a, a depressant, I, I was usually a pretty happy person uh, once I got a few drinks in me, and 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 that went along that way for a long time, and and I have to tell that because that is a part of me and, and a part of my story. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about it, and even some of our guidelines in, in regular S&R meetings says we leave our other identities outside the room and uh, those kinds of things. But uh, we're in somewhat of a different environment here in that, you know, uh, my, my 
job today, and I, I consider it my job, I consider it my vocation, I consider it my avocation, is to uh, share my experience, strength, and hope. And uh, in order to be able to do that, uh, I have to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And that's kind of the format that, that, that we use to do that. And uh, I, I never knew that because I lived many different lives. I had, uh, you could kind of tell the, the kind of life that I lived by looking in my closet. There would be blue jeans and there would be uh, then kind of some nice slacks. And then there would be a business suit and there would be a tuxedo and, and those kinds of things. And that's, it was kind of typical. Uh, of the kind of life uh, th- uh, that I lived, and I could uh, I could uh, fit into almost any of those environments like a chameleon. It it, it just worked out uh, for me. I got all even bum. There's another familiar face that <laughs> snuck in the door. Uh, 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 that that's uh, that's the way uh, uh, things were for me, and and I was kind of the same way uh, around my family. Uh, I did all the uh, the things that I thought uh, parents were supposed to do with their kids, there was only one primary difference. Uh, I really didn't want to be there and do that, but I, I did a lot of them because that's what I thought she was supposed to do. Um, I was uh, uh, pretty successful in uh, my profession in the beginning, uh, going to work at age 18 in uh, a new industry, the computer industry that was coming along in the uh, mid-50s. and uh, uh, became, uh, even though I wasn't able to get a degree, never able to stick with anything long enough to get the education, I, I progressed, uh, very well in that. And, uh, I have to tell you that had a lot to do again with, with my controlling nature. You know, uh, you get out there, you try to do something a little better, uh, than everybody else. You stay a little bit longer than everybody else. You get there before everybody else. Uh, gets to work, and uh, when the next promotion comes along, they promote you, you know. And uh, that happened to me till I uh, got po- promoted, probably two grades above my Peter principal, uh, along uh, in the uh, in the melee of things. But uh, uh, you know, we talk about dysfunctional households. Uh, most corporations I've seen. Uh, uh, the big entities like our government, which I work for in some of them, are about as dysfunctional in uh, today's environment as we understand uh, dysfunction in this world in that, you know, they have certain principles uh, that are published and then they have certain principles that uh, they actually go by. And so I was able to read those programs. I knew what the program was. I knew how to do things. I knew how to get by and uh what I um, uh have said when I when I got to the program, I, I knew some of the basics of life. I knew how to go out and make a good living, bring home a paycheck, how to sire children, how to put on a good um, face uh uh for the outside world and uh, uh still be a, a very sick person. And uh, even when we got here, you know, we had uh, the two cars in the driveway and uh, two, uh, a book talked about 2.5 children. I don't know how anybody got 0.5 children, but we had a boy and a girl and, uh, you know, they came along at the right stage in life and 
uh, we uh, we put them in the right schools, and we did all of those things that society, uh, you know, expects uh, expect you to do. Except uh, inside our household, it, it was a sick, sick environment, and um, it. Um, Again, uh, my controlling nature is, is our daughter approached her teenage years. Uh, I was very willing uh, to go along with the fact to, to help her, uh, to provide the help for her in forms of counseling, uh, psychiatric stuff. And uh, even when uh, my wife uh, showed some signs that things weren't quite right, to uh, to get her into uh, counseling and all that kind of thing, but don't talk to me. Uh, but, you know, we'll be glad to talk about your problem, and I've probably got some pretty good solutions for your problem. But we're we're not going to talk about uh, me and my problems, and that permeated uh, throughout my existence. It was had to do with. My peers at work, it had to do with my subordinates, it had to do with my superiors. Uh, I would never allow anybody to to get inside this exterior of me. I'd tell you what you wanted to hear, you know, if you uh, if if you want to know the. And I knew most of the right answers. In fact, somewhere along the line, I uh, I had the ability from a very early age to take uh, test very well. I could sit down and take a test and and. Uh, scored 95 or uh, 98% uh, on just about any test I took if I just had a little bit of knowledge about it. I don't know where that came from, but it was, it was one of those uh, God-given gifts and uh, it's one of the things you had to do uh, to, to succeed in the world and what have you. It, uh, my, uh, our son, uh, at the, uh, uh, as soon as he could get out of that environment, left, Went to college, got a four-year degree, and and went on, and and we'll kind of talk about him a little bit later. Um, our daughter, I always made the comment uh, that that my daughter was just fine, except she was too much like her old man, and uh, uh, you know that's exactly what happened. She was just she was just like too much like her old man. She did the same things that I did. In, and growing up, she she was pretty much a leader. She was an out front person. Uh, her only problem is uh, that uh, she stu- stumbled into that uh, funny weed that makes smoke, and uh, then uh, it graduated to alcohol and on on up the deal. Uh, and um, I, I'll I'll leave that alone for a minute and, and say that uh, uh, in May she'll have 21 years of recovery. And, uh, you know, for that, uh, uh, we're extremely grateful. Uh, so, uh, we, uh, we, we stumbled along until, uh, the motivation for us, uh, as a couple, uh, to, uh, came, always came together when it had something to do with the kids. Uh, you know, uh, we would we would go out socially. Uh, we would interact socially with people. I, I belong to lots of things. Uh, I belong to lots of organizations, and uh, I thought uh, every time I walked in the door of an organization, okay, well, where's the president, and how do you get ahead in here? And you know, that's basically what I did. And then when you got there, you know, what the heck do you do? You know, and so that those kinds of things filled voids. 
uh, in our life. And, and some of them were good. Some of them were, had to do, uh, with philanthropies, had to do with, uh, uh, children in need and, and all that kind of thing. And, uh, I devoted, uh, my time and energies to that a lot more than I devoted my time and energies, uh, to, to my family. Because I knew how to do that. I knew how to, uh, to operate out there in the world, but I didn't know anything about relationships. I knew absolutely nothing uh, about relationships except what I had uh, uh, learned uh, through my family background. And uh, those weren't many. And I don't fault my uh, parents for that. Again, I'll tell you that they, they did exactly the best thing that they could do at the time. So in in our quest, uh, our daughter uh, continuing to uh, to get worse and worse with her problem, and she was approaching uh, age nineteen and, and so forth, and was becoming very dysfunctional. And my spouse put her foot down, and says we're we're going to find out, we're going to get some help. And uh, we did. We went to a couple of places that she drugged me to, and uh, we. Uh, we went to this uh, organization and that uh, uh, did diagnosis and that kind of thing. And uh, one night we were sitting there, and it opened up with a film. And uh, that film was a portrayal of this family that had two cars in the driveway, a little white picket fence, had two kids, and what have you. And the wife. Uh, was, uh, very dysfunctional, very lonely, uh, very, uh, uh, needy in terms of, and, uh, uh, the husband was a drunk. And he was out there doing some things that I recognized very clearly in what he was doing. And our family could have starred in that film. And that didn't mean that, uh, when, uh, when we saw that film, and uh, that immediately our life changed and we decided, boy, this is the way to go and whatever. We went through a lot of pain and agony. Uh, uh, that was, that was kind of the beginning. That was kind of a, one of those standout, one of those aha deals that, that, that comes along in life. And we, we talk about those experiences, uh, that, that we had that, that were meaningful along the way and that and that was one of them and uh, finally they uh, uh, said that uh, the only way that this organization would continue to help us is that we started getting some help for ourselves and of course it wasn't very many sessions that uh, they recognized what my problem was and uh, so they sent uh, my wife and I to to Alamont and they said that that's, uh, you know, that's where you need to go. That's what was available at the time. This was in the uh, early 80s. And uh, when uh, on the uh, night of July the 15th, 1982, we walked into this clubhouse to, to go to this Al-Anon meeting. My wife went to the Al-Anon meeting. I went to the AA meeting. And that was the beginning of our journey in 12-step programs. And it's been uh, my... Uh, uh, recovery in uh, uh, from alcoholism uh, from that day on, and uh, but as we walked out the car together, we went in, we separated, we came out the car together, 
and my spouse is sitting out there crying. She says, she made the comment to me, if you think I'm going to these damn meetings like this for the rest of my life for you, you're crazy, you know. And that was about the kind of conversations that we normally had, that it didn't make any difference. I was kind of on a high, and it didn't make any difference what she said. But our motivation had to do with our child. We were trying to find, both of us were trying to find out what we could do for our child. And so uh, for a year, uh, both of us went to our separate 12-step meetings uh, and uh, got very into it, did a intervention on this daughter, got her into treatment, uh, and she did her thing, and we... Uh, uh, we went, our, we went our separate ways again, and uh, our social life was going to um, conferences, going to uh, meetings, open meetings where both of us could go to together, and we picked up on, on the deal of couples that were making it, you know, uh, couples that uh, had had histories similar to ours. And uh, we're actually making it, and, and we developed some a, a few role models, and uh, we actually started a couples group. And uh, this, I'm, I'm talking about pre-SA and pre-SNON at this point, and we started a, a couples group. And uh, ironically, that uh, group was called Friday Night Affair, you know. <laughs> and uh, but uh, we did get together, and, and that group allowed us the opportunity uh, to share pretty openly uh, about, uh, you know, what was going on with us. But because all during that year, uh, we basically had to have a mediator of some kind if we talked about anything except news, weather, and sports, because we just uh, just weren't able to get along together. And we, we ended up one night in a combined meeting, and uh, I I, a lot of times I call him a jerk, and in the next uh, sentence I could call him God, but this guy showed up. He was in Oklahoma for a specific reason, and uh, in this combined meeting, and he got me and introduced himself as a sexaholic. Where is this weirdo, you know? And uh, from that date on, and that uh, it was also uh, my my spouse's sobriety date in SA, and she went up, she talked with him after that, and got that deal started well she was going to a meeting at this guy's apartment with three or four other guys and at that time they, she had talked a couple of women into going so I, okay that but maybe that's all right you know but it, it, then about a couple of weeks later uh it talked about the fact that these guys are, that were in this meeting the wives wanted to get together and talk about this. So this was kind of the formulation of our SNN group in, in Oklahoma City that, that took place in uh, uh, early uh, 1983. And uh, the other three uh, people that uh, there was about five of us, the other three people were there. They came to two or three meetings, which we had uh, co-jointly uh, with the SAs in, in another room. And... Uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't stick around very long. And uh, myself and uh, uh, one other lady, uh, we continued to, to go, and uh, we had a, a meeting on Friday nights. 
and we continue to sit there and we uh, a lot of friday nights we sat and looked at each other and stared at each other and kind of hoped that you know somebody else would uh, come through the door and eventually you know uh, somebody would come in and they would stay a little bit and uh, i don't know whether it was because we didn't have what they wanted you know or the fact that they weren't ready and and willing for recovery or whatever i as I look back on it today, I just have one uh, comment about that. Whenever, uh, uh, you know, the pupil is ready, the teacher will appear. And it doesn't make any difference where and how and, and whatever. And it may be after numerous tries. It may be after a lot of false starts. It may be whatever. And, you know, that, that's pretty much the cycle of addiction as we as we know about that. And uh, so... Uh, that was our beginning in, in this program, and I think we were fortunate in the fact that we had a, a year in a, a, the 12-step programs because we were familiar uh, with the 12 steps, and we were familiar with the process. And uh, we had confidence and hope and faith that the process worked. And uh, But it didn't keep me from being a very, very angry individual. I would have been... Uh, the I would have been very desirous of my wife being an alcoholic. If she were an alcoholic, that was kind of an acceptable deal. But to be a, a sexaholic and and that you know that really just and particularly in that day and time, you know, people whispered it. They they didn't talk about it and, and talk about sexaholism and and the recovery and that. And so, because we had developed most of our social relationships with people in other 12-step programs, we didn't talk about that a lot. And when the group would say, well, let's go to a movie and let's go see that movie, and my spouse would look and say, well, what's the rating on that movie? And, you know, she wanted to look and and see what the rating was in in those kind of places. And it it was still embarrassing to me, and it was still, uh, you know, and... Even though progress was taking place, even though recovery was going on, and uh, the wife uh, of this lady, and and Nancy and I were talking about it last night, uh, the wife of the the gentleman who brought SA to Oklahoma City, uh, I had developed a uh, telephone uh, relationship with her. She lived in, in Montana and what have you, and she still had some uh, children in Oklahoma City. And every time I'd get to the point where uh, I, I just didn't think that the, you know, the anger uh, would get so bad, I'd call Jackie and, and I would talk to her and, and she would talk to me and we would go through uh, uh, the process and she understood. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about this program is that, uh, you know, the gender doesn't make any difference. Uh, it's, uh, the disease is the disease, whether, uh, I'm an Essanon, whether my spouse is an SA or vice versa. Uh, I have to tell you, I also fought the deal in Essanon for a long, long time. Uh, the fact of being the quote token male, you know, and sometimes it was kind of a, a, a fun deal, you know, but most of the time it's pretty lonely. It was a pretty lonely feeling to to know that uh, you know, and so uh, I got uh, I got busy in in service in SNN, and I worked on the SNN uh, uh, Central Committee for a few years, and uh, was uh, 
had some uh, dealings and some instrumentation in getting uh, the Essendon headquarters uh, moved to uh, Nashville uh, out of uh, their ladies' garage apartment in uh, uh, Sema Valley. And uh, so that old lesson goes back over and over again. You know, if for any other reason uh, you can't find some peace and serenity, get out of yourself. You know, work with another addict. Well, work with another person in recovery, and uh, the uh, the reward and the promise is is sure. As I'm standing here today, if you go get out of yourself and talk to another person, and and what have you, uh, you know, you won't have enough time to think about your own problem. And as you continue, because this this process of recovery we found is very slow. What we've seen over the years that some people come in and get this thing overnight and, you know, just are bubbly and, and, and jump in and, and know that this is what the problem is and get in my hats off to you. You know, if, if you're one of those people who, uh, who've been able to do that, that process w- it wasn't, uh, wasn't that quick for me. But, uh, we, uh, we understood, we believed, and we had faith uh, that uh, recovery worked. And uh, in in the vein of talking about uh, working with other people, uh, one of the things that we talk about in uh, another 12-step program, we talk about some in here, you know, don't make any major decisions the first year uh, of your recovery. You know, let things happen and so forth. I know uh, after being in uh, AA for about three months, I ended up in a treatment center, and uh, I wrote my spouse a letter, and I said I wasn't coming back. I was not coming back to that household, and the minute we got out of there, I was going to get a divorce. Well, unbeknownst to me, she'd gone to another treatment center, and uh, she she had begun the uh, uh, process of, of uh, her own recovery. And as I was graduating from that treatment facility, I had this counselor who was a female, six foot two. And of course, uh, because of uh, my inherent chauvinism, I didn't like to pay too much attention to women anyway. But Judy would get your attention, I promise you, whoever you were. And she said, you know, you can you can uh, get rid of this spouse uh, that you have. You all have been married for 27 years and uh, you have children together and so forth. But I promise you. That, that you will go out and you will find another one and might not have the same color of hair or she may not be as an architect or whatever, but it'll have probably the same characteristics of, uh, what you're attracted to because that's, that's, those are the kinds of people that you are attracted to and that you've been attracted to most of your life. And so why not give this thing a chance? Why not give it a shot? So we we were going to counseling a couple of times a week, and we kind of made a pact uh, on uh, the fact that we'd try uh, we'd try to do this thing uh, one day at a time, and then we kind of upped it again. Uh, then we'd do it a week at a time, and then we said, well, maybe we'll we'll try it for another six months, and. Uh, that was close to 20 years ago, and I think we kind of forgot what uh, the, the deal was, but uh, we haven't forgot uh, the misery and, and the pain uh, and everything that we went through to get to the point uh, to where we're at today. 
And uh, we try to remember that. And if something happened like that today, any, either of us would lose our sobriety and the other person would refuse to get help. I don't know what that decision would be. I really don't. Uh, we, I, I've learned uh, at least one thing uh, uh, since I've been here is uh, don't ever say never. You know, because the minute you do, uh, it will, it'll turn around and bite you right where, where you're at. And uh, so I've tried to learn not to say that. And I've got a good doctor friend of mine, uh, in, in the program that makes the statement that anything, um, that I learned before recovery, uh, was either irrelevant or, uh, it wasn't worth a darn. You know, and I, I think what Hal was trying to say in that and what we've interpreted it to mean is that we, we didn't know a lot about uh, relationships. I've heard so many Essanon stories that said, you know, disclosure, when disclosure happened and all that kind of thing, and it didn't make any difference. They've been around for a long time. This has been going on in the family uh, for a long time. And when disclosure happened. Well, you were just like me, you know. Whatever you did uh, to to cover that up, I'm sure that the signs and symptoms were there in some way, shape, or form. Now, whether we we're capable of recognizing them or not, I wasn't. Uh, I, I I suspicioned what uh, was going on, but I just uh, uh, would anest- uh, you know uh, anesthetize whatever that word means uh, myself to the point to where I didn't care. And I finally got to the point where I really didn't care, you know. And the only reason that, that we stayed together was because that we were two people that had been together for a long time, living under the same roof, and that we had a couple of children together. And that, that in the beginning, that was, that was the only reason. That was the only reason we stayed together. And I would sure love to tell you then from that time on that uh, we joined hand in hand <laughs> and uh, walking down the, the lane and smelling the roses and, uh, and the tulips and what have you. Well, uh, any of you that uh, uh, know us know that that's not the case. Uh, life goes on, whether you're in recovery or whether you're not in recovery. You know, uh, uh, children uh, grow up, uh, they, they get married. Their their deaths in the family. There, uh, you lose uh, uh, a close loved one, uh, mothers and fathers, and, and Sylvia and I have been through all, all of that, and a great loss of, of a daughter-in-law in 1996, and uh, you know uh, all all of those things are, are are part of life. But the 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 joy and the happiness uh, of the program is. That, uh, you know, we've been given some tools to deal with life. And, and, and that's what this thing is all about. And we talk about the t- tools of recovery. And, uh, uh, early on, I had talked about tools, uh, in, in our first year of recovery, uh, we only had one phone line and we would get into an argument. So we found the best way to solve that argument was install another phone line. So she could call her sponsor and I'd call mine, you know, and, uh, then uh, we would agree when we would get into to a heated discussion that it was going nowhere. Uh, one of us usually had the good, good sense to say, you know, time out. Uh, 
let's don't talk about this anymore. And then if we knew that we couldn't even bring it up anymore, we'd wait till we have to go to a counseling session or wait till we, wait till we could get somebody else involved so that we could kind of keep the heat off. And, uh, you know, thank God for that because I definitely was not that kind of person. I, I would not uh, admit to you that, that I, number one, that I ever had a problem. Uh, number one, that uh, any, I would not admit to you that uh, I would uh, go to somebody else for help and uh, disclose uh, to you what was going on in, in my life and, and in our household and what have you. But I admit to you today that uh, the weaknesses in me and in our family have turned out to be our greatest strength. And uh, I, I, I believe that to my core today. That, uh, that, that is our strength and uh, my higher power that I call God, I believe that's what he put us here for. Now, why he had to wait so darn long, uh, uh, you know, I was age 47 before we began the recovery process. And I probably beat the statistics within three or four years because a person like me would have been dead about age 50 or a few years after that. And so we, we did, we followed all the rules and all the guidelines, don't make any important decisions for the first year, went out and bought a building, uh, <laughs> that, uh, uh, had about 16 units in it, and about three months after that, there were people growing marijuana in there, and they were, uh, shooting the lights out and spilling paint, and so we said, what are we doing on this deal? And, we prayed about this deal, and uh, this uh, other organization had brought a guy to Oklahoma City and said uh, uh, to to help open a uh, halfway house for recovering adolescents, and uh, found out that he was out of work, uh, and this is after we bought the building. We went out and talked to Tony. He was pumping gas one day, and, and he's a drug and alcohol counselor, and he's pumping gas out of the gas station. We talked to him about the possibility of opening up shop and opening up a a recovery program for uh, uh, people in. Uh, uh, by the way, Nancy, what time do we quit? Four more minutes. Well, it's hard to get in another 28 years, you know, with uh, in four more minutes. Uh, five minutes? All right, I'll take five. I can get there in five. Uh, we uh, uh, we opened a, a recovery program uh, in 1983 uh, for adults uh, recovering from drug and alcoholism. We were able to open the program of our passion in 1985 and 1986, Halfway House for Adolescent Girls and Boys, uh, ages 14 to 18 years old. Uh, and because that was becoming a, a burden, uh, uh, God came along in 1987 and uh, offered the first early out that was ever offered to uh, civilians in my uh, uh, capacity. And I was only 52 years old. And he said, hey, take this bunch of money. And we're going to pay you to not work the rest of your life. And, uh, that was a no-brainer, you know. And then we, then I got into it full-time and I was going to develop the treatment center of the Southwest and uh, all that. And uh, that's a, that's a, another part of the long drawn out story. But the, the bottom line is that we, we did do, uh, all of those things and that became our vocation, both Sylvia's and mine, in, uh, in treatment for, for drug and alcohol recovery. Uh, we're still in it in, in a little different uh, vein today. We, we closed down our adolescent programs in the last of 1999 
and uh, we've got uh, some beds for veterans today. We've got uh, a homeless program for veterans, and uh, this recovering daughter pretty much runs the business on a day-to-day basis, and uh, every time I have to go in sometimes and sign uh, some papers and that kind of thing, and they're, they're waiting for me to leave, you know. Dad, go on, go on, play golf, you know, and uh, get the heck out of here, and, and that's kind of what I do. And, uh, you know, I can tell you about uh, trips uh, abroad that we thought we would never go to, that all were 12-step related. Uh, we were invited to London to speak in this program. We were invited to go to Germany to a retreat like this in the Black Forest. And we were the only English-speaking people there, and there wasn't a person out there that spoke English. But we had two interpreters that interpreted every word that was said for, you know, a day and a half. And what a, what a beautiful thing it was. Uh, we got an email that asked us to come to Korea and be the, the speakers at the Korean International, uh, conference in, uh, that was about 2000 and said, yeah, we'll come. We'd love to. And another opportunity to share our experience, strength and hope. And so we went over there and spent, uh, about 25 days and uh, traveled around and saw things that I would never ever seen if it hadn't been for recovery and and, and, and been for this program. And I, I'm not bragging to you about it. All I'm telling you, this is, these, these are the facts, ma'am. Uh, that's, that's what's happened to us. And uh, uh, our, um, our life, our vocation, our avocation uh, have all gotten muddled together. They all have to do with recovery. And... Uh, uh, that's what we're about. Our social life primarily uh, has to do with the people in recovery. And uh, life is good. Uh, I still don't have a clue uh, how you're supposed to act uh, when you're 68 years old, but I'll keep coming around. And some of you will get there one of these days, and then I'll know how to do it. <laughs> Outside of that, and I'm truly, truly grateful and blessed and honored for the opportunity to come and visit some of my dear friends in Nashville and hopefully meet some more new friends. And one last plug, and I'll make this two or three. We have an international conference that we've had uh, ever since 1984, every six months, and this will be our fourth one in Oklahoma City in July of this year. And I promise you, if you come, we'll treat you right. Uh, we have this beautiful hotel in downtown Oklahoma City that's been revitalized called the Renaissance Hotel and beautiful meeting rooms and uh, lots of things to do and lots of uh, sights to see and lots of good recovery. And uh, we're going to be there. Uh, we're working hard to uh, provide an environment for you to come to and uh, to enjoy some more of this recovery and fellowship. Nashville's always been a leader in in recovery and particularly in the uh, sexual addictions program. It's been, uh, and and you all are fortunate to be right here in the center of it. And uh, if you don't take advantage of it, it's it's your fault. You know, it's, it's certainly not anybody else's in the old adage, you know, when the, ever the pupil's ready, the teacher will appear. And uh, thank you all for allowing us to be here. Thanks. There's a saying, join us and on and see the world, and it's true. Let's go ahead and close in the usual manner. We'll close with the serenity prayer. If everyone would get up and sort of make a big, big circle, and we'll, we'll do it.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.